In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Galatians 5.1 In this continuing Easter season, Paul reminds us that to be really free, we need to let go of the old habits and consciously live our lives for Christ. We're called to be free, but we're cautioned not to use our freedom to indulge the sinful nature, but to serve one another with love. If we keep fighting each other, we'll eventually be destroyed. This takes us to the family, which for me is always a good starting place. How much do we want everyone to do what we want to do? How often do we think, as long as I'm doing it his way, then everything is fine? How much freedom is there in that? Do we pressure others to do our will instead of letting them be their own persons? How hard is it for us to let go at the right time and allow our children and our loved ones to become themselves? Let them be children when the time is right and allow them to grow up when the time is right. For Christ set us free in order to allow freedom. Good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney. My guest this week is Mary Emma Palullo-Willis, who's going to talk to us about her career as an author, speaker, consultant and trainer. My book excerpt looks at how I was still a child at the grand old age of 18. I'll touch on the royals now that they've decided to start their honeymoon. And I'll share about baby birds and raccoons. So sit back and enjoy a cup of tea with me at the McNinney Ranch for the next hour. Well, it's dull and dismal here in Garland today. And I'm wondering about the bird family that used to live in our guttering. They've left, you know. They were getting very big, rather like our human children do. And you wonder how your living room suddenly got so small. I'd watch them take it in turns to flap their wings and settle back down into the nest that was rapidly becoming dangerously overcrowded and toppling a bit with the few extra ounces. The other morning I heard loud cheeping, which went on and on for minutes, probably about 30. Suddenly I noticed the silence, just like that. I went and looked at the gutter and the nest was empty. I went outside to see if I could see any floundering birds, but nope. I wish I'd witnessed the exodus. I kept expecting them to flutter back home to take a breather from the big world outside their cramped confines in the nest. But I watched in vain. I didn't know they flew the nest never to return. I'm still keeping an eye out, though, for a wobbly bird on the fence. Malia had taken photographs, though, for the historical records, so I was glad about that. On Monday, we did receive the gift of a four-week-old female raccoon. And before you recoil, have you ever seen a four-week-old raccoon? Of course, those of you who know me either personally or from my writing know that we raised raccoons and squirrels throughout our homeschool experience, while our now zookeeper son volunteered at the animal shelter. Obviously, our raccoon-raising days aren't over yet. 
we have to bottle feed Sally, my youngest daughter's name for her, every two hours or so, and she sleeps all through the night, so no worries there. She can hardly walk, and when we put her down on the kitchen floor to stretch her little legs, she falls over if she shakes herself ever so gently. Her tail is silly, thin and scraggly, and her legs are spindly, but her feet are velvety and almost feel wet, they're so cool. She's getting teeth so she can nip, only I don't really think she's nipping, she's just rooting around looking for food. Malia's friend, who lives in the country and owns six horses, commented that the picture Malia had sent her of our latest dependent was horrible. She further thinks we're demented for actually bottle-feeding her to keep her alive. She views all coons as a nuisance to be exterminated along with rats and cockroaches. Sally's cute and rounds off my homeschooling experience rather well. And Simon just got word that there is another baby at the shelter. Would we consider raising them together? We only have four more weeks. My blue-eyed cowboy with coon dog caution has just shrugged his shoulders. So Simon's off to pick him up. Well, this week, Malia graduated from Colin College. She has an Associates of Arts degree and a great GPA. Not finalised yet, but great nonetheless. No more gruelling, her word. Academics for her, as she says, and I quote, the end. Now she's one step closer to the start of a new life abroad scary. She had her wisdom teeth out this morning, so is being an invalid on the couch at the moment. The word scary doesn't really adequately describe how my youngest is feeling about the move at the moment. Poor dear, suffering from anxiety. I tell her what she's doing requires a lot of courage, and people who brush off her intermittent bounce of angst by saying they could do it in a heartbeat are trivialising the importance of this major adventure she's getting ready to embark on. The fact that we, the parents, are also going to be in England for our own reasons has helped her a lot, but I suspect once she settles down, she'll have no need of us. Thank goodness we have our own lives. As I hug my scared and crying daughter, I tell her that we're all feeling the same way and that it's all right to cry and be afraid and be sad. We can all help each other get through it. We could take the easy way and continue here, but she will soon be living her dream. Too soon at times. No one said it was going to be easy. She's discovering that all on her own. And I do need to go back to the royal wedding now that they kind of decided or have started their honeymoon. Um, the exchange of vows at the beginning of the service was very personal. And I'm glad, glad that the mics were strong enough to pick up their soft voices because they both gave a very intimate response. The only criticism I have was with the one ring ceremony. But after 10 years together, it has nothing to do with the public, whether or not Prince William decides to wear a ring. He's just not a jewellery kind of person. This is a trend that has been adopted by many young modern couples. However, I think it would have been great if William had chosen to wear a ring. The whole world knows he's married, but no one knows about the man sitting next to you on the train or in the pub or at the show. A friend of mine once asked me if I felt any more married with a ring on my finger or not. My response was that all the sacraments at church have outward signs of the inward grace that we're receiving. For baptism, we have salt and water. Communion, there's bread and wine. For confirmation, there's chrism. And for marriage, there's a ring. So I look on the wedding ring, religious or secular, as an outward sign of inward commitment. And... I actually did enjoy the sermon that the Bishop of London, the Right Reverend Richard Schartz, gave. It was brief, which is always a sermonizing plus. He began by quoting from Catherine of Siena, whose feast day it was that day, which I loved the quote anyway. Be who God meant you to be and you will set the world on fire. 
That should be a homeschooler's motto. He also told the congregation that every wedding is a royal wedding, for in every wedding the loving couple are the king and queen of creation. His sermon reminded all of us of the nature and Christian understanding of marriage as a gift from God. And Malia commented on how all the women in the Abbey were wearing hats or fascinators. What I hear you asking are fascinators. They're decorative trappings made of fanciful materials such as feathers, flowers, lace or beads attached to large hats or worn in the hair in lieu of a hat. We also know them, or at least I do, because Americans don't tend to wear hats, as cocktail hats. Something that won't bash someone in the face when you're standing at close quarters, sipping your martini. I can only imagine the breakfast reception that morning at the palace with all those large hats bullying around for space at the long formal tables. Only one woman opted to go bareheaded, the First Lady of Britain, the Prime Minister's wife, Samantha Cameron. And by omission, she really stood out. But I don't think I could have been that brave. But then I wasn't flipping invited. Well, my excerpt this week is how I was a child until the end of my convent school days. And it's called Keeping the Child in Childhood. It was Easter term at the convent, a period of time between Christmas and the Resurrection or for the more secular-minded teenager, a time when mock exams were administered during the last few weeks before the holidays to prepare us for our A-levels, the highest exams that could be taken before leaving school and heading off to university. Winter had been particularly severe that year with electrical outages at regular intervals throughout the day and night. If we weren't watchful, we'd be awakened in the early hours of the morning by the electricity suddenly pouring out of our light sockets in our dormitories, startling us from our slumbers. Invariably, we would, as quickly we plunged back into the blackness, as the simultaneous surge of thousands of 40-watt light bulbs bursting into life for a millisecond blew out the electricity in the adjoining hamlet nearby village and the convent. Again, British Electric requested that we be more diligent about making sure all our light switches are in the off position when the power went out, but more often than not, we forgot. As boy-conscious girls, we found candlelight to be flattering, but were unable to share our newly realised loveliness with anyone but each other. For evening light, which was needed at around about four o'clock in the afternoon, we carried huge candelabra from the chapel into our common room down the hallway by which to study and gaze at ourselves in hand-held mirrors. The narrow lanes that were the main approach to our school and our driveway were impassable for weeks because of the heavy snowfall. Even our indomitable postman was unable to break through the drifts and deliver our lifelines to the outside world. No emails back then. Letters from admirers at the local boys' school or from families and friends. To add insult to injury, the coal miners went on strike that year, causing the fuel reserves to drop dangerously low. The country pledged without regard for us poor stranded girls to conserve fuel by turning down the heat, which actually meant cutting off the gas supply several times a day. Now we not only had limited electricity to light our classrooms and hallowed halls, we also had cold metal radiators that acted like ice blocks, keeping the indoor temperatures frigid and limited oven and stove capabilities which meant we had to make do with cold food and cold drinks. The nuns who were on cooking duty jumped at the excuse to provide us with tinned lunches and cold cut sandwiches for dinner. When the power was on, tea was made in great quantities and kept hot under large blankets which served as tea cosies. The whole school took on a refugee camp atmosphere. We've been reading too many newspapers about the evacuation of the Congo and the war in the Middle East. However, no campfires were permitted. 
On one cold and frosty afternoon, the upper six, comprising the top class of our school and only six 18-year-olds on the brink of graduation, declared a holiday from studying by sensuous candlelight and ventured forth in our sweaters, woolly tights, heavy coats and scarves to navigate our way up the ice-encrusted driveway, thus trudging a trail for the postman who could not deliver our mail. Our half-hearted mission was to see if he was leaving letters at the gates a mile away from the school. We doubted it, but it made a good ruse for our reconnaissance trip. We stopped at the bridge over the river Ooze, and we studied our map, disguised as a piece of newspaper, and furtively ducked under the bridge to share a woodbine cigarette. All we lacked were French berets to be part of the resistance. After several drags each, we switched Vicks, a strong mentholatum, around our mouths to disguise the smell of tobacco, and proceeded to crawl away. And I'll be right back in about 90 seconds. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pinrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Penrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a six-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonpenrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Multi-ethnic church with Mark DeMoz. Thursday afternoons at 1, noon central is a show that passionately addresses the question, if the kingdom of heaven is not segregated, then why on earth is your local church? They call us Yes, increasingly, our diverse population and the diverse families it's producing is reshaping the face of the local church as people are beginning to recognize the power and beauty of walking, working, and worshiping God together with others of different backgrounds. How can your church overcome the obstacles, and why should you even try? Join a live chat with guests from around the country and the world to learn the effectiveness of churches in the 21st century beyond race and class distinction. This show has its pulse on what it will take for the church to find real reconciliation in our generation. So tune in for the Multi-Ethnic Church with Mark DeMoss, Thursday afternoons at 1, noon central, here on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, so there we were, six 18-year-olds who just 
crawled out from under the bridge on our stomachs and across the field to the weir that bordered our convent grounds. Our original mission had been forgotten. We were now traversing enemy territory and had to keep our heads low. Halfway across no man's land, a snowball fight broke out and our cover was blown. At 18 years old, we were still playing silly games brought on by the tedium of being under siege by the weather. We were still children and glorying in it. Well, my guest this afternoon is returning to my show, and this time she's going to share insights about her fascinating career. Mary Emma Palula Willis has, for the last 20 years, been pursuing her passion to bring out the star in every person. She's especially concerned about adults who have grown up with negative school labels, like being learning disabled or ADD or average or even gifted, and the number of children who continue to be diagnosed with with learning disabilities. Welcome back, Mary Emma. Thank you. It's nice to be here again. And how are you this afternoon? I'm doing well, thank you. How about you? Well, I'm doing well too. Yes, yes. At last, at last, we're getting some sunshine. We've had a really cloudy week. Have you oh, had nice we're weather? Cloudy still here. Oh, you are. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, uh, we have a lot of wind. Though we've been we've been plagued with wind so far this this oh, spring. Oh, so. really? Oh, yeah. wow. And I don't like the wind. No, I don't Anything. either. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> anyway, well, um, Mary Emma, we're going to take a, a slight departure, and um, we're going to talk about your career, and um, because I, I think, well, you know, a lot of children who go to um, traditional schools, you know, have the benefit of a careers officer, and um, really, as homeschoolers, mum tends to wear that hat. So sometimes it really helps to have different ideas, um, kind of placed before you so that you can go research different things. So I've tried to invite, um, you know, unusual career people um, to share um, their love, their work. And um, you uh, seem to be a perfect person because I read back through some of the things that you do. And how did you get into it? I mean, is this something that you wanted to do from childhood? Well, well, I... Probably not, because I didn't know this even existed, what I do, (laughs) and I don't know if people really know what I do, so it'll kind of come out as I'm talking, I guess, but I know that when I was a little kid and I was playing from my earliest time, I loved to organize things, and I think in my head I thought I was going to be a secretary, Mm -hmm. because that was just so fun to, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, line up my desk and put everything in order and have a a to-do schedule. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, of course, that tells you something about my learning style. So um, as I got older and I was in high school, then I really thought that I wanted to be, um, I just wanted to help people. Mm -hmm. And um, I went toward being a child marriage and family counselor. That's what I thought I was going to be, a therapist. Um, So anyway, uh, after high school, I went to get my BA and uh, was going to be in psychology, and I took some courses that introduced me to this whole field called learning disabilities, which I had no idea about at the time. This was in the 
70s, and um, so I thought, wow, well, this is like a specialty of therapists. Yes, I want to work with those kids because I remembered being in school. I was an A student, and I remembered the kids who were failing and were being humiliated in class and all of that, and I thought, well, it's not their fault. Mm -hmm. So now I can help them, you know, if I learn about this. So I went that route, and I did get a special ed credential and a master's in special ed and all of that, and I did that for 11 years. And as I did that, I thought, okay, this cannot be the right model because these kids are not deficient. These kids that we're calling learning disabled really are not. And I was, you know, making things up to – because they were they were like – they were, like, smarter than I was mm-hmm. in so many areas. And I'm going, mm-hmm. why are we calling them disabled and deficient? So mm-hmm. then I went looking for something else and found learning styles, which I had never heard of because they don't really teach you that in teacher school. Mm-hmm. So this is how I ended up here and almost coming full circle in a way and saying, you know what? There's nothing wrong with you. Let's look at what's right with you, what mm-hmm. you need, what will work for you, and that's for kids as well as adults. Mm-hmm. So that's what I do. All right. So um, I'm going to backtrack just a little bit so that we can um, really explore some of the things that you've said here. So um, you had ideas about um, organization and being very well, um, well, I suppose, just very well structured as a child. And so you um, went on to go to college. That was a given, right? I mean, you you didn't really think that you were going to do, you, you knew that you wanted to go to college, right, from the beginning? Well, I don't mean, I don't know if I knew that. I just knew I I knew I wanted to do a certain thing, and so by the time I got old enough, you know, to know what it meant to be a therapist, then I knew I would have to go to college to do that. So, yeah, in order to get, in order I to mean, get to, um, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, um, I think if I had gone in the other direction, really, of organization business school or something, you know, to mm-hmm. be an executive secretary, I think maybe I would have done that, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you went off to college and you took your, um, all of your classes and you, first off, you, you thought that you were going to do marriage and family therapy. Right. And then you found right. out, you, you heard about learning disabilities. Now, I, I don't know whether we talked about this before, but isn't it funny how things suddenly became labeled? I mean, children, you said that you've never heard of anything like learning disabilities. So what were these children who were really sort of a little bit different in the classroom? They were just functioning differently, right? Right. That's what I started to recognize as I worked yeah. in the field, which was why I then, you know, developed and created things for, for our learning style work. But, yeah, because, I mean, before that, it, it was people thought it was a step forward because before that, if you weren't making it in the classroom, you know, you couldn't spell, you had trouble reading, or you just didn't get math, or whatever, you didn't do your homework, or you were all, your stuff was all over the place, you couldn't organize it, whatever it was that wasn't working for you in the classroom, the thought was, well, you're lazy, or you're being defiant, you know, or you're just a bad kid, you just want, don't want to do what you're supposed to do. So there was something so, wrong with the child. They didn't yes. look at the system. They looked yes. at the child. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so when the whole idea of learning disabilities came into play, then it was like a little bit 
better in a way because it was like we were now we're not saying oh you're bad or mm-hmm. you're doing this on purpose or you just don't want to learn then we were saying oh there's something going on here let's find out what it is it's not mm-hmm. this kid's fault that he can't you know isn't spelling mm-hmm. nobody doesn't want to spell or nobody mm-hmm. doesn't want to read mm-hmm. so let's figure it out well that could have been okay if it didn't evolve into what our whole special ed thing evolved into. So mm-hmm. that's another story. Well, <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, you think of spe- well, I think of special ed as as for children that really do need that help for some reason or other. They are physically unable or mentally unable to do something because of an accident or a birth defect or, or right, something like right, that. or Down syndrome or yes. something that yes. you yes. know autism, something that's really um an issue and so all of a sudden everything got lumped into the words or the phrase learning disability everything. Uh-huh. yeah and so labels were were at, you know if you had a child that there was something they, they weren't just functioning properly in the classroom or, or the way all the other children functioned although the way they were being expected to they were just given a label okay so they're add or they're this or that right or that. Yeah? right yeah. and just and, as bad are the labels that say you're average because that's oh, that, yeah. that's one too i mean okay so the most of the kids in the class are not learning disabled but they're getting maybe c's a couple d's a couple b's well they're just average well that's that's a terrible label too because we're not recognizing their strengths and their, where they shine and so that's another part of that system and i have a friend who's a teacher and she said if you're really smart then you get put into the gifted and talented if you're yeah. not if you're really really you know sort of labeled as learning disabled you get the special attention taken out of the classroom and given one on one and that kind of stuff and she said and if you're just average you know you are you're ju- you're just left in the middle and nobody you get lost you get lost in the crowd and she said one of my boys was that and she said i really feared for him and so that's why she started to homeschool so yes right right yeah, so and the not- truth is that everyone everyone if we just took, got all rid of all of these labels we would just go okay where is your genius or mm-hmm. what are you good in or what do you love? And so it's individual for everybody, and that's how we really honor people, by looking at them that way. Okay, so you said after about 11 or 13 years, you decided that you discovered something else. You discovered learning styles. Now, was this something that was already being looked at, or was this is this something you know, that you discovered and then had to go out and see whether other people had recognized it? How did that work? Well, it wasn't, um, when I went to, uh, you know, when I was being trained to be a teacher, uh, you got about 10 minutes of a smattering of this, which was about, you know, everybody's heard that some people are more auditory, some people are more visual, some people are more tactile. So that's what most people think learning styles is all about, and it's so much more than that. But in the teacher training, you just get maybe two sentences about that. Excuse me. And then it's like, okay, fine, we're done. But what about it? Even if we were going to just use that for learning styles, what are we going to do about it? Well, the thing is that really... The reason for saying that is because it is thought in general 
that if you really are a tactile kinesthetic learner, that in a way becomes the definition of learning disability. Or if you really are a picture learner, because you see, it is those learners that don't function in a traditional classroom. If you're a hands-on learner, a whole body learner, if you're a picture learner, you're not a print learner, you got to see it or, or do it or handle it or make it, build it, whatever, then by definition, you are one of those people that's probably going to be labeled learning disabled. Well, Mary Emma, we need to go on a short break and um, we'll be back after these few messages to talk some more. So don't go away. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central, on Toginat with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. Everybody In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website, and thus NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing, chronicling her opinions on everything? The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Mom with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Innovation and insight, problems and solutions, capitalizing on your ideas and efforts. That's all a part of changing the world one invention at a time with Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on toginet.com. Rick will be sharing stories of innovation, invention, inspiration, and overcoming obstacles with guests who have been there, done that, and are doing that. Rick will be asking the right questions, helping you identify the real problems, and showing you how to act on your ideas by increasing consumer confidence, and more importantly, increasing your confidence to act on your ideas. For even more information, go to thinktech, that's T-E-K, globally.com. Then join us as Rick and his guests teach us how to develop new ideas and create new products, new businesses, new jobs. And together, let's get our economy growing again. It's changing the world one invention at a time. With author and inventor Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. The show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, I'm back, and my guest is Mariama Palula Willis, who um, is the founder of Le- the Learning Success Institute, and um, she co-authored a book called "Discover Your Child's Learning Style and Midlife Crisis Begins in Kindergarten." And um, Mariama and I are talking about her career, and um, one of the things I wanted to ask you was, how many different jobs did you have, and were they related to your original career? And listening to you speak, it sounds as though that you 
have used your knowledge and your experience and your expertise all along the way like building blocks to kind of move from one thing to another and eventually you've, you've um, become this author and speaker and expert and entrepreneur you own your own business can you talk a little bit to, to us about that well, sure. Um, and that's an interesting question, too, because as I was listening to you, I was thinking back, you know, to my jobs. And actually, the jobs I had while I was in college and school um, were um, secretarial positions. Oh, were they? <laughs> and I had forgotten all about that. So I guess I did get to do that after all. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, that's what I did. And then when I finished my, got my degree, um uh, and my special ed credential, I was hired right away to be the director of a um, clinic for learning disabilities. I mean, that's, you know, what I was going to do. So that's where I was for 11 years. And that's where I decided finally that it just wasn't for me. And I left. And then I just opened my own business just kind of the next day and um, started consulting with clients and working with kids who, um, you know, weren't really fitting in at school, and they would come to me for the morning or the afternoon or something like that. And so from then on, it it was always my own business, although later, like right now, I'm in partnership with another person um, whom I met, and she's the co-author of the book, mm-hmm. um, Discovery Child Learning Style, and midlife crisis and um also the co-founder you know learning success institute so but basically i've been in business for myself and as you said it just kept evolving Mm -hmm. and then um when i met um, victoria and we decided to go in business together we started developing our own learning style profile then eventually um someone asked us to write a book and then the book was published you know and so then just things kept happening after that and so it, it really did evolve All right so um in your career what have you learned about yourself i know you've learned a lot of things about other people what about you wow what's that now <laughs> well let's see now um you can come back to it if you want to <laughs> yeah i mean that's i mean that's it could, you know, you could go on for hours in a way, but I think that one of the main things is that when you start your own business, I'll take that part of my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, first of all, let me say that I think it's very important to go with your intuition mm-hmm. and gut feelings about things so that when I knew I was done at that other job and I knew I had to start my own business. Mm-hmm. So and at each point, I've kind of known, okay, it's time for this or that. Mm-hmm. So it does evolve, in, and it's, it's good if you can kind of flow with that. But the other thing is that because I do have my own business, I, you know, you don't have all of the people that might be at a company, say. Mm-hmm. And so um, this is what business owners, you know, always um, come to face have to face is the fact that, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to do the bookkeeping and the marketing and um, the promote? You know, all of the stuff is on you (laughs) Uh, until you're at a point where maybe you can hire some people. But it is different to have your own business. It's wonderful. I love it. Of course, you have more flexibility and you, um, you know, can make your own decisions and things like that. But you do have to 
kind of be able to step back and say, you know, do I really want to be doing this part of it? Mm-hmm. Do I need to step back now and bring someone else in, a team mm-hmm. member or hire someone? Because it's very easy when you have your own business to work, um, you know, 24 hours a day mm-hmm. and get mm-hmm. caught up in that. All right. So um, is your would you say that your career is um, was family friendly? I mean, when 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 you were younger, you know, and had a family, were you able to still I mean, was it family friendly? Could you leave it? At the office and come home. Oh, definitely. I, I, uh, yes, absolutely. It, yeah. it is something that, um, I mean, especially after I uh, left the job, you know, that I was doing the learning disability stuff mm-hmm. and had my own business, that is really amazing because, you know, you can decide, well, I'm going to make my schedule be from 6 a.m. to 4 p.m. if that's what you want or you want to be home early or or uh, 10 to 2 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Figure so it having, out so that it works for you. Yeah, so that's good. So having your own career has that um, potential for the flexibility um, yeah. as well as the potential to be working 24-7. So <laughs> you can be kind yeah, of work right, right. very that's quickly. Yeah, right, right. That's what you have to be careful about. <laughs> yeah, and um, so have you got, have you much experience experience um with um young people coming in and and interviewing with you do you hire people and so if you do what are you going to look for when you're interviewing somebody do you have any pointers if if that if if that doesn't apply do you have any pointers from the jobs that you've gone and interviewed at that you would recommend and say to people out there if you go for an interview this is what you need to do yeah, sure. I mean, it, it, this this is interesting too because this is part of what we teach our students because we do uh, have a, a independent study program here, and especially in our high school program, we um, coach students on careers. You know, so what do you want to do, and let's start exploring them, and what would you do if you were going to go in for an interview? And so, I have a lot of experience. Um, teaching people about the interview process. So one of the things is to really find out about that company that you want to work for and mm-hmm. and know as much as you can before you go in so that you sound like you're really interested in them and you know mm-hmm. you've done some research and all and um and you want to uh, go in and that you know you don't have to go in wearing a tie or a, a you know a fancy dress if if you're a girl but certainly um, I would say even still today, do not just go in with jeans and a T-shirt, mm-hmm. <laughs> unless it's a car wash, you know, or something. Yeah. I mean, go in, be appropriate, look the person, um, you know, in the eye, and um, shake hands, be warm and friendly, and always, always send a thank you afterwards. Thank you for taking the time to see me, even if you don't get the job. Mm-hmm. Because you never know that that person might need someone in two weeks, or maybe the person mm-hmm. they hired doesn't work out, and they're going to remember the person that said a th- sent a thank you note because you're mm-hmm. going to stand out. Mm-hmm. Um, and one more tip is um, uh, record yourself. I mean, uh, uh, videotape yourself or whatever it's called nowadays. Um, mm-hmm. You know, video yourself or have someone video you. Pre- Pretending that you're at an interview, do a pretend interview, have a friend of yours or a parent or whatever be the interviewer and um, practice it and then watch yourself 
in the video because you'd be surprised at how you might look. If you have your arms crossed, you might look like belligerent when you don't really mean to. You're probably scared to death, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that's how it looks. Mm-hmm. So if you videotape yourself, you'll see all the things that you want to practice not doing or doing. So that's a good thing to do. Well, yeah, those are some great pointers um, for how to conduct oneself at an interview because I I agree with you. And I've said to my children, you know, when you go to the interview, you can ask questions too. You don't need to just sit there and let them do all the talking. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you're interviewing them too because you yeah, might you might you not like know. the person that you're interviewing with, or you might take one look at the company setting, you know, the business setting, and go, "This really isn't for me," or something like that. So, right. you know, yeah, absolutely. And and you know, your learning styles come in here too. Is this a place that you know will work for you? Is it the right environment? Are you going to be doing a job that um, is you know really does fit in? With your disposition or modality or whatever it is or your talent or, uh, I mean, if you can't write and you have to take notes all day, because yes, not right. everybody's talented in writing, right? I mean, when yeah. I say you can't write, I don't mean that you, have, you know, literally yeah. can't write. But if you're not a writer yeah. and, you, you know, thing. you're not going to want to take notes or, or, yeah. or type letters all day. So don't just, you know, settle for something because, oh, well, it's a job because you won't mm-hmm. be happy in it. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, most exciting aspect of your career, you obviously love what you do and, um, you know, are excited about what you do. So tell us one of the things that really gets you up in the morning and out to your job. Oh, my gosh. What? Just one thing. Almost, almost <laughs> every day we get an email or a call or something you know, thank you so much, you've given us hope again, or you're the first person that ever said anything nice about me or my child, or it, you know what, we really turn around people's lives when they come in, and if they've been at a traditional school and felt defeated, and we show them where all their strengths are, where they shine, it's like a new person, that is just so exciting, so I love the the one-on-one consulting with families, and I also love the workshops where I can tell lots of families all at once about, <laughs> you know, how to free yourself from whatever dungeons we think we have to be in because somebody else said something or told us some authority said, you can't do this or you're not good at that. And mm-hmm. um, So, yeah, I, those are the big things. Those are the things I really love. The fact that you're making a difference and, um, you know, making it, having an impact. And people are um, wonderful enough to share that with you and, and thank you for it. So I, I would say that that would be a really, really um, gratifying part of your job and rewarding part of your job. Yes, Well, definitely. sadly, we've come to the end of our time. Um, I've been talking to uh, Mary Emma Palula-Willis. She's an author, speaker, consultant, and trainer, and she's been talking about her career. And one of her seminars helps adults to discover the key to creating personal blueprints for work and life success. She also teaches the process of strategic attraction, the art of bringing more perfect relationships into your life, perfect customers, perfect co-workers, perfect health, perfect, sorry, perfect health. Yeah, I did. Perfect partner (laughs) and have a perfect weekend. And where can we go to find you online, Mary Emma? Well, our main, um, my main, um, Web page is learningsuccesscoach.com. Uh, okay. And so, um, 
And I would also love for people to go to solimaracademy.com. That's all oh, about it. Solimar our, Academy. Okay. Yeah, S O L I M A R Academy.com. And then you'll find online personal success profile, learning success profile. We have all kinds of really great tools and interesting right. things for you. Well, there's the music. And thank you so much. And you have a great weekend. Thanks a lot, Vivian. Bye bye. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pinrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Penrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a six-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonpenrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Girlfriend It is on Toginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central with your hosts Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The Girlfriend It principle was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out GirlfriendIt.com and then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have mm-hmm. somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, last week I had Diane Finn Keith. Um, as my guest and I came away with some valuable insights and new websites to explore about gaming and techies and all the wonderful ways that our modern children of the digital age can put their newfound electronic skills to use and I have them listed in my Toginet article relating to Diane's visit if you want to go check them out. Um, Diane and I talked about our teens and the temptation of many homeschoolers to abandon their older children to the public high school. Now if your teen wants to go to the public high school that's another matter. But as a parent, Diane is trying to help us not to panic. Life, both yours and your teens, will not only work, it will be fruitful and rewarding if you keep them at home. Both Diane and I have explored and participated in a wide range of definitely not strictly curricular activities with our older children. We've done community service together, of which there is a wide range to suit all needs. Just go to your local library or 
or to your nearest computer for that matter. I have friends who take their girls to shelters, teen pregnancy centers, community health care centers, nursing homes, theaters, soup kitchens, hospitals. The list is endless when it comes to doing good. Then there's the volunteering, which overlaps the community service, but could be more entrepreneurial, like setting up computer classes for the neighborhood, tutoring math or teaching English as a second language. As they get older, there are the actual paying tasks, like teaching piano lessons or mowing lawns or giving swim classes and babysitting. There are apprenticeships at local garages or companies. There's always travel, which is a plus, and mentorships. Then these are but a few ways to help guide us, guide our homeschool high schoolers in a way that will make these years work for both us and our children. I agree with Diane that living and learning by following our interests is so satisfying and aids with developing and discovering talents. Everyone has natural gifts that they need to uncover and express. Once found, we can work out how to make a living by doing what we love. Okay, when you hear the phrase high school or college dropout, what immediately springs to mind? Yep, me too. Quite honestly, though, Is it all the students' fault, as Mary Emma and I were talking about just now? When they're young and feisty and energetic and enthusiastic, at least that's how most of my teenagers were, though I did have a sleeper, who wants to be stuck in a classroom reading boring stuff so that they can get into a good college or graduate from a better one? Or preparing for tests that hold no immediate interest? Unless that child wants to go into a profession that requires certain skills, why should they be cooped up learning the same things that hundreds of other unique children are learning. One size fits all? I don't think so. And as a homeschooler, I know this isn't so. Successful businessmen can also be high school or college dropouts. They dropped out because they found that what they were learning was a waste of time or getting in the way of what they were really interested in. Is this a surprise? Should we be teaching entrepreneurial skills? A lot do have an idea? Let's see if we can make it work. Bill Gates and Steve Jobs did. They developed their own projects after dropping out. My son gained a degree in film at university. I don't really know if that afforded him the job he currently holds, but what I do know is that his experience has enabled him to go from job to job, increasing his skills and building on his reputation. He has staying power too, which in England is all the employer looks at when hiring an executive. They're not interested in the kind of degree, it's the fact that there is a degree. But today's generation tend to flit from job to job as the market changes, so I don't even know if staying power is a plus anymore as it used to be. Why do high schools assume that every child is college material? My friend who works at a local public school says that each child is guaranteed a place in that city's college. Wow, talk about setting our young people up for failure. Why does the system insist on using the same mold for everyone? And when I first started homeschooling, a talented dancer or actor could usually join a dance or theatre company on the strength of her ability and performance at the audition. Alas, today I discovered that a degree from a four-year college is required for some performing companies, even before the applicant is allowed to audition. Surely selection should be a matter of preference, and talent is in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? What does a high GPA in academics have to do with how well an applicant can emote or pirouette? My daughter's had first-hand experience of this. She's been accepted at two very good dance schools in England, purely on the strength of her auditions and personality. Her academic career was looked at, but only after they checked out her talent. In closing, Diane and I talked about how busy we were since our children had started leaving the home. I said that, quite honestly, as each child left, I seemed to unconsciously add something else to my plate. 
Consequently, I really wasn't feeling the absence of my children that much. Diane's philosophy is this. We as homeschoolers have spent so many hours every day, every week, every month and year with our children that now they're finally unfurling their wings and flying off. We're regarding the empty nest in a different way. We're verily happy and proud to see them off pursuing their own careers. I especially am enjoying emptiness because both my husband and I work from home and now I get all the intention he used to lavish on the children. How wonderful. Viva my blue-eyed cowboy. And back into the home, we've been experiencing a lot of companionship in our house this week. As homeschoolers, we love the company of our children. Malia's been bringing her computer into the public rooms instead of cocooning herself in her room upstairs. And we've been able to share our lives and stories and catch up with her, which has been wonderful. The reason she stays in her room so much, she's now telling me, is that we're usually busy writing, or at least I appear to be busy, because... When there are no children around, hubby and I, as good empty nesters in trainers, both find things to do to occupy the hours, not spent visiting and bonding with the fruits of our loom. These last couple of weeks, and particularly these last days, Malia spent a lot of time in other parts of the house besides her Pepto-Bismol pink bedroom. Her blue-eyed father and I have gathered around her like clucking mother hens and roosters. Her blue-eyed um, and watched her eat or drink her coffee. We've enjoyed catching up on chit-chat and finding out what's going on in her life. As a good parent who not only comments on her child's negative activities, I learned that early in my parenting career, I commented on how much we've appreciated her company and thanked her for spending time with the two of us who really are way outside her age range. It all seemed so natural and easy that I felt odd even pointing it out. The two children who no longer live at home have to visit with us when they venture through the back door because they don't have a room to retreat to. They also don't feel right, or so they say, about coming in, making a sandwich or doing their weekly laundry and then leaving without some sort of preamble and effort at interaction. I must admit, zookeeper Simon socialises. He is a gregarious sort. But then he goes out when he's had enough. There are times when we barely see him, but it's not because he's holed up in his room. In fact, talking about Simon, he took us to a favourite haunt of his on one of his midweek weekend evenings, a pub that serves delicious small brewery beers. And we're into unusual beers, being home brewers ourselves. It also had an eclectic food menu to match, nothing like Chili's or Friday's. We had a wonderful time splitting meals with each other and sharing terribly strong dark ale, fruity IPAs and a Chamay de Blanc. In return for us footing the bill, Simon allowed his blue-eyed father to drive his new stick-shift car home. The driving parental sipped one beer all evening, in case you're worried. Well, this morning, as I mentioned earlier, we took Malia to Baylor Dental School to have her wisdom teeth out. Now, a school immediately conjures up inexperienced students. And a dental school indicates the possibility that these inexperienced students could also be messing around in your mouth and hurting you. But this is not so at all. The dentists there are all qualified and well on their way, probably in their final year, to becoming oral surgeons. Malia met hers for a consultation a couple of weeks ago and thought he was fine looking and everything went really well. I was able to go back with her for the initial tube insertions, I suppose. She had oxygen and she had a little monitor on her 
on her heart and a monitor on her on her wrist somewhere and then I watched them put the IV in and I could hear this little beeping going on she was watching a screen and her heart rate would go would be slowed down a little bit and then it would start to speed up as she thought about what was going to happen and she really didn't want to have her teeth out but once the IV was in and once she was given some kind of drug to kind of make her go into that la la land she said all she remembered was the last one that came out and she thought it was the first one and uh, that's, that's all she remembered and she's now sitting on that couch with, with an ice pack and it's the first time I actually had ever gone because I'm usually teaching um, so the other three children used to just go with their dad and he had a little ritual that he used to do and he said you're coming with me you're going to have to participate in my ritual and that was while they were having their wisdom teeth pulled he would go downstairs in the basement of the hospital and um, have lunch and not lunch he'd have breakfast in the cafeteria because we always did, did this really early in the morning so off we went this morning and we did that but Malia was only in there for 30 minutes so I guess they've speeded up the uh, procedure and Simon's just arrived home and he's bought the other little raccoon it's a little boy and we're calling him Thor and he's only just opened his eyes so he's a little bit younger than Sally and um, they're together right now squeaking away in their little in their little box and uh, he doesn't quite know how to suck out of a baby bottle but um, I'm teaching him I'm learning so they're really, really cute, but we've only got them for four weeks, I suppose, if I keep them for that long. And uh, they'll change really fast, unlike children that seem to stay young for a long, long time, which was a blessing while that was happening. And uh, I miss it now, even though it seemed to go on for a long, long time. So anyway, I've managed to um, natter on for another whole hour. And it's time for me to bid you farewell for this week. We have dinner club tomorrow. It's an American 50s food theme, a la June Cleaver. So the Pearls and Twin Sets will be out in force. And Hubby and I are making uh, mashed potatoes, a celery stuffed with homemade pimento cheese, and um, a wilted spinach salad. All the other stuff was gone, so we don't really have that much. But we are making chocolate martinis, which should be absolutely yummy. And then if the weather permits and Malia feels better, we're going to the zoo on Sunday. Jacob's funeral is on Monday, my cousin who died of leukemia. So please continue to hold his family in your prayers. Thank you, Tina, for remembering. And for this week, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hardworking staff at Toginet Radio, my guest, Mariama Palula-Willis, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah, Tina, and Rosemary. Stay tuned for Ali Lopreet coming up, up next with This Little Parent Stayed Home, so don't go away. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Numbers 6, 24 through 26. And that's all I have for this week. So everybody, you have a great weekend and join me next week. And um, I have a university on who um, specialize in homeschoolers. So come back next week for another hour.
Thank you for joining us for the Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNeil.